Hello and welcome to another episode of Flynn's Talk podcast where we focus on thriving in the veterinary field and raising awareness for the mental health challenges that vets face in their line of work. I'm Jack Levitt, one half of the co-hosting duo. The other half is Jez. Jez, how are you, mate? Very well, as always. Always a pleasure to be here. Nice one, mate. We've got uh, a, a big episode coming up today. We've finally landed the white whale, uh, Dr. Warwick Vale. Um, I accidentally have created a rhyme there, mate. Uh, but Dr. Warwick Vale, who's the president of the Australian Veterinary Association, who we've been trying to chase down for a little while and... Uh, finally secured some time behind the mics to, to dive into his work and um, some of the stuff that he's working on. He's got some pretty uh, ambitious goals uh, for the veterinary field. So that's going to be really good. And um, of course, the AVA represents some sort of uh, eight and a half, nine thousand 9,000 veterinarians, which is about half of the registered vets in Australia. Um, so they're an industry representative and Warwick will uh, be able to explain that a lot better than than I can, but um, what I am interested as well to tap into is some of these initiatives that are already in place uh, in terms of veterinary well-being and um, encouraging uh, vets to thrive uh, post-graduation and, and well into their careers. So, Jazz, I'm going to be uh, really keen to to hear about that from Warwick. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, they they do a lot in the advocacy space and in the government. Um, in the government sector as well, looking at how changes can be made, what changes can be made, um, and how they can sort of help the industry, uh, which is something I'm sure Warwick's very passionate about. So yeah, it'll be really good to get some of those insights from him. Yeah, exactly right. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it with uh, Warwick. So he took over as president of the AVA in May of 2020. So a pretty uh, pretty tough time to take on the gig. But um They've actually just celebrated 100 years as well of the AVA earlier in 2021 in January. So um, congratulations to all involved with that. Um, Warwick himself has been an equine specialist for 30-odd for years. So he's a horse vet um, and based out in the Swan Valley just outside Perth City. So not a bad place to be at all. Uh, we've managed to lock him in on the Zoom uh, feed. So I reckon we'll get into it. Yep, sounds good. Let's do it. Really excited to welcome Dr. Warwick Vale, who's the president of the AVA, which is the Australian Veterinary Association. Warwick joins us from Perth. How are you, mate? Yeah, look, uh, thank you. And uh, it's, a, it's good afternoon here. It's good afternoon there. Uh, and thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. We've continued to connect and expand across uh, the vet field. And Jeremy and I are just a couple of punters, a couple of um, pet owners. But of course, people know our story now and the reason why we're doing what we're doing with this podcast series. And the AVA is an organisation that represents the industry in so many different ways and with so many different initiatives. I'd love, Warwick, for you to zoom out for us and, and just explain the position of what the AVA is and how they do act for the industry by way of continuous development and wellness well, wellness programs and things and the like. And yeah, just like to frame that up for, for people listening who might not be aware of what the AVA is about. Yeah, look, I'm very, very happy to do so. Uh, Jack, look, the ABA, as, as you said, is, is the Australian Veterinary Association. It's a membership-based organisation um, that uh, that uh, caters for veterinarians in this country. There's no other member organisation uh, like the ABA. We're, we're pretty much the sole advocacy and representative body for a veterinarian, uh, veterinary professionals in Australia. We have about 50% uh, of the marketplace, so of registered vets in Australia that we have roughly 50% of them join. I'd like to see a lot more join because the AVA uh, does do a lot for all members of the profession who are practicing out there uh, and uh, and participate in, in the community and deliver all the services that vets do. Uh, as a whole, we, we, do, we have a couple of core pillars of what we do for, for veterinarians. Um, principally, uh, we provide the support services, uh, both in terms of being a voice uh, for the profession and advocate, uh, advocating for um, uh, things that uh, in the welfare space around animals and around um, uh, providing a voice for veterinarians to contribute in legislation and policies and uh, and uh, um, community initiatives that are that where veterinarians can have a role. Uh, so where veterinarians are expert, uh, recognised as experts in those fields around animal, animal production, food production, things like that. 
Um, we also provide a real strong collegial community for veterinarians to get together uh, to discuss um, their lives, discuss their professional lives and advance their careers. We provide um, direct membership support services um, and principally uh, in the uh, CPD. So edu continuing education is a big part of what we do in, in training and upskilling uh, veterinarians post-graduation. Uh, so in that marketplace. And we provide um, membership services for members in need. So um, we have some HR advisory services that we provide. We provide um, access to uh, insurance for veterinarians when they need them for professional uh, liability and indemnity. Um, and in the mental health space, um, we have uh, uh, heaps of services, uh, a, a range of services that members uh, and non-members can tap into as well uh, that provide support, counselling, um, and we run programs like mental first aid training for veterinarians. We have some key initiatives there that, that we're driving um, across the profession to try and improve mental health. Um, so it's a, a lot of things. We're a lot of things to to lots of different veterinarians. Um, we we a very broad church. You can be a member of this association, uh, and uh, you know, uh, work in public policy in in terms of health uh, in the, what we call the One Health initiative at a government level. Uh, you can be a consultant to a, a drug company that's uh, manufacturing medicines for for um, and doing research. You can be a teacher in a university or you can be a clinician working with dogs, cats, lizards, snakes and horses like I do. Um, so um, we have we have uh, many, many groups, uh, subgroups within the AVA that uh, come together and uh, through. Um, and so we have so our largest groups are horse vets and cattle vets and production vets. They work in the food production sector. Uh, and small animal vets. Um, so big, big organisation, um, uh, a, a lot of strength and a lot of uh, diversity, um, but significant challenge that we're trying to address in in, um, in the profession across Australia. Yeah, I want to I want to go there too. Like we, let's get into the the crux of that, mate. Because even just we we're having a chat before we hit the the red button and recorded this interview. You've clearly got a personal um, investment in this as a vet yourself. You you, you talk about the fact that. Your role in the AVA affects yourself, but your colleagues around Australia, and that is other vets. Um, it, it, no matter the practice where they work or the business that they own or manage, um, you're all colleagues, and it is this one unified approach we need, isn't it, to tackle this mental health um, cloud that sits over the industry. Sadly, we lose so many vets um, to suicide, and many choose to leave the industry, you know, um, because they've reached the point that they don't want to keep going on. I was reading in the lead up, mate, that you've even had to attend some funerals with people, sadly, that you've lost in your own network and, and letters you've written to families who have lost someone in their own in their own family as well. And that must really sit sit deeply in your heart to, to be doing the work you're doing now. I, look, I, my colleague uh, in my business, one of my business partners has been a, a high profile member of the profession in the ABA that has that has looked at mental health and suicide veterinarians for many years. So he was a really good role model for me. Um, and his name is Dr. Brian McElane, an Irish fellow um, here in WA. And he he started some of the sort of mentoring, uh, was key uh, in the, developing some of the mentoring projects that we uh, programs that we have for early graduates and you know, young graduates. Uh, and and you know, WA um, set the scene in that space about how we mentor and provide a mentor for graduates after they graduate. The and you know so I was very aware of, of what what needed to be done and the issues. Um, he also heads up the benevolent fund of the Australian Veterinary Association. So that's a fund that uh, has um, money uh, money in it that is allocated for members in crisis or families of members in crisis. Um, and uh, so it's it's a, it, it's an altruistic, you know, a benevolent fund, um, and it's you know it reaches out and helps families where. Um, that have lost someone through suicide uh, or an accident or or health uh, problems, and you know, so I'm very aware of tangibly that you know what was going on with members out there across Australia. Um, it really didn't hit home though to me the sort of the the depth of the problem, I suppose, um, despite being really well educated in it, um, until I had to start writing these letters, you know, where where where, where the stories would come back. We would have a crisis incident um, uh, that, uh, or alert within 
within our team at ABA when, whenever someone uh, passes away you know, tragically or, or you know through suicide um, ABA gets knows about it pretty quickly and we set up a, a, a response I guess to that for want of a better way of putting it and um, that's where we roll out and, and uh, um, reach uh, into those practices if, if that's a veterinarian's been working in practices. And we offer the support that's needed. Uh, we, we, we join the dots and connect people with the, the right type of counselling support. We reach out to the families involved uh, and all of the employees involved in those practices if it's in a practice. Um, so that that was that's you know, tragic but rewarding to see that we can you know, that we can be responsive like that. But then, as I said, what really hit home was writing these letters. You know, well, I have to write a letter, and the frequency that I was writing these letters um, to families uh, of condolences that lost, uh, you know, their friends and their and, and their family members through suicide, and the waste of it, just the incredible waste of of talent, um, and the obviously, you know, the suffering that's that's good, that's attached to that. Um, was really, really difficult for me. Um, and so I just resolved that, look, we just have to do better. And we do it. We have a lot of resources. We, we have this um, um, uh, action plan that we put into place, but a lot of that's after the fact. You know, that's, that's, that's when it happened. Well, why does it get to that first? We need to do something more. We need to be proactive, not reactive. Um, and um, and are we are we best? I wanted to really look in the mirror. I want the association to look in the mirror and say, are we showing the leadership that's required? To give, a, to give us a result because, I mean, we've been talking about these stats in suicide for so many decades and they're not changing. They're, they're, in some sense, they may be getting worse. Certainly career sustainability is getting worse and suicide is just the very, in my view, it's just the very end of that um, where, you know, career sustainability affects your personal life so much that, that you can't cope anymore. Um, you know, I'm simplifying it. It's much more complicated than that. But is, is AVA showing the leadership that's needed? That's the question I ask. Yeah, certainly. I mean, especially now we've got COVID, we've got all these vet shortages we keep hearing about, especially in rural communities where people just can't find vets to come up and work for them. A lot of these vets, a lot of these vets maybe be moving up there, but then find it's too hard and leave the industry altogether. Uh, yeah, it's such it's such a hard thing to tackle about retaining these staff, and because I think I think Jack told me before there's. There's there's plenty of people finishing the course and becoming new vets, but we still have these massive shortages. Look, we graduate an excellent product, if you want to talk about it like that. We, we have excellent training. Yeah. We have excellent candidates. The quality of the education uh, that they get is, is fantastic. But something goes wrong. You know, something, they enter this profession and, and, and it goes wrong. They don't. They don't stick it out. They become damaged by it. Some of them, um, and you know, the, the ones that are that are safest, I suppose, are the ones that that are in that situation that leave the profession. But that's no way. It's not sustainable for the community, and the community has a huge loss here. They can't get the services uh, that they need. Um, animal welfare is impacted upon, um, and you know, those that are left behind in those practices where the staff shortages are also shouldering an extra burden. Um, that's unreasonable uh, and that creates risk factors for all sorts of things burnout and all those other factors that contribute to um, to um, your poor mental health it's actually interesting jeremy um i won't directly quote you i don't remember exactly what the words were you just used before but you mentioned about uh, a vet that might take up a position remotely or in a rural area reaching the point where they're not enjoying it or, or not finding that they can cope even flipping that warwick is important because that is a highly trained person, a talented person that we've put through university, has paid their way through that, got a job in rural. We need to flip that around that that person couldn't handle that environment. We've got to look at the factors for why it was broken and why they pivoted away from it or said, I've got to get out of here. It, it, there's a, it's multifaceted, isn't it? Because we talk about they're not paid much, the award rate's pretty outdated, um, uh, the, the long hours, you're on call as a rural vet. Even just if if a rural vet leaves, they might be the only person in that post. If they leave, 100% of the veterinarians have left that town. Um, but it truly is multifaceted. Is it? What do we go after first? Like, what? Which bit do you hone in on and say, if we get that bit right, it could lead to that. It could lead to that. It's, it's, it will become a ripple effect. The freight train will get moving eventually. I hope. 
and we'll start to see things like that change. Well, it's interesting. I mean, if we were having discussion, this discussion probably 10, 15 years ago, we would have been talking about resilience training of graduates, yeah, undergraduates, so preparing them for the profession. And, you know, naively, I even thought, well, you know, that was the answer. You know, we just need to make them stronger, tougher, uh, and a coat, but it's not. You know, you don't prepare a fireman to go into a fire, and, you know, that's unreasonable just by giving him a fire suit. You know, what I mean, you just don't go in there in the first place. Yeah, it's it's a silly way to look. At. It's an important part because resilience training is needed. It's a it's always going to be a tough profession, but it doesn't have to be as toxic as what it seems to be. The experience in the workplace for many many of my my colleagues, and and I don't believe that veterinarians. Um, you know, they, they have some personal traits that make them maybe slightly high at risk, you know, about like a, a, a compulsion for perfection and, um, and a, a self-criticism uh, uh, is, you know, is pretty high, that they set themselves very high expectations. But even so, I mean, there are other professions that are exactly the same that attract those types of personalities and they don't have the same suicide uh, rates and, and mental health problems. Um, where do we tackle it? Um, Jack and Jeremy, the answer is just that um, uh, that I don't know, to be honest. Um, uh, um, but I'm going to find out. That's my that's my uh, aim here. And the way that I, I'm doing that is with through the Australian Veterans Association and the project that we're running uh, with a with a partner called Superfriend, um, who are who are an expert in this area about helping organisations develop a strategy, focus on the key things that are in the preventative space, I guess, rather than a reactive space around mental health um, and, and less on the support services and more on the prevention side. Um, uh, and I, I believe that that we there's no one else that's going to show this leadership for the Australian for the Australian veterinary profession. There is no other organisation that's batting for vets in this space. Um, there's there's driving factors in workplaces. Uh, a lot of workplaces are, are now realising that they have to change their work practices and their work culture, their work environment to make it safer and more sustainable for vets. So that is happening happening sort of. Um, uh, you know, by you know, bit by bit um, and steadily, but it's not fast enough uh, for my liking. And I'm very much a person that's driven by results. Um, and I want to, I want to see a halving of the profession, uh, a rate of suicide in, in our profession within the next five years. I want to see a strategy that will get us there. Um, I don't want any more, um, you know, uh, uh, argument about it in terms of you know what are the factors. We just got, we've got to do something. We've got to uh, tackle the significant ones. And all of them, if, if, if it's 100 factors we've got to uh, tackle, guys, I've got to find out what they are, identify them, find the solution for them, fund it, and make it happen. It's just that simple, uh, but it's that complex as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good to it's good to have people as passionate as you out there fighting the fight. Yeah, and and look, I, I will say that, that we've had a my call to action, I suppose, which is what I, I announced in my presidency with this big, hairy, audacious goal, has been overwhelmingly um, supported. Uh, not not just within ABA, but with uh, uh, um, uh, but you know across the profession. There are other industry groups that are looking at us. There is government that's looking at us, and people like yourselves are reaching out and and noticing that that you know I've raised the profile of this problem again. We we can't bury it. We have to keep it in the front of the the eye of not just ourselves and our businesses, but the entire community. The community needs to help veterinarians help themselves so that i think will be part of the strategy is re is getting the community to recognize that you know it's not all playing with puppies and and kittens and uh and uh and walking and driving your ferrari home from work every day it's it's the exact opposite of that for some people um but it doesn't have to be uh there are many veterinarians who have uh, fantastic sustainable careers uh, you know, people ask me, would I would I advocate my children or you know to have the career? I, my father's a veterinarian. He's 81, retired. Um, uh, I followed in his footsteps. I would I would recommend my children, despite of the issues that the, uh, there are there. I'd recommend my children because it is a fa fabulous career. Um, but I've I've enjoyed 
probably some some uh, good luck and good fortune. Um, I've suffered from mental mental ill health. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm on antidepressants. So that's what helps me uh, with my mental health challenges, and I and I'm very open about that with with the community and my colleagues that I talk to. That that I, I am a sufferer of um, a mental ill health, not just related to veterinary. I think there's other factors for me that contribute to it. And um, for me, a medication strategy um, uh, works quite well. But I still love this profession very much, and I'd like I'd like to see more people love it and stay in it like I've been able to. And thank you for, for sharing that about yourself, mate, and that openness and willingness to share that um, you've had to reach out for help and continue to get help with that because, of course, we talk about Jez, a mental health uh, recovery journey or we try to not even sort of pigeonhole something to be purely a recovery. It's, it's a management. It's ongoing. It's, it's, it's just part of, part of life um, if that's the journey that you are on. So good on you, mate, for, for sharing that and thank you. Um, I'd love to just circle back and talk about the survey, uh, the veterinary wellness survey that you had out uh, available for, for all to contribute to. And it was open to uh, vets who are AVA members and non-members as well and um, working part-time, full-time, having a break from the industry. Um, so so all different contributors. It did finish uh, back in mid-August. So um, if you missed out on a chance to contribute to that, unfortunately, it has closed now. But Warwick, just take us to that survey. And um, this is phase two of a greater project where there was some engagement done, um, I understand, with, with clinics on a one-to-one and then in think tanks and working groups and whatnot. And we're now at this point where there's a survey. You're right. It's phase two of this project that we've got, what we call our wellness project with Superfriend. Um, the uh, the phase one was a uh, was a desktop audit. Oh, actually, it's almost phase three. Was a phase one was a desktop audit of what we were currently doing and what services were available out there in the mental health and, and suicide uh, prevention and, and uh, space, um, and and what I, what ABA was providing in that space. So a review of our current services. Then there was, a, I guess, a think tank. You're right, a collection of of a whole lot of stakeholder groups. Um, from across the profession and the industry, included nurses, it included uh, researchers, it included um, teachers, um, it included um, you know a whole lot of non-veterinarians as well who are who are attached to the profession and, and the industry through through their role and practices. And out of that, and, and some thought leaders in this space, we've got some some fantastic, fabulous thought leaders in this space that that are working actively, um, often under their own steam. Um, and, and uh, their own finances to try and achieve what I'm trying to achieve through the association, you know, a better, more sustainable career. So I brought, I try to, my, my, our plan was to bring all those people into the room together, you know, into their room together and lock them in there until they, they given me a, a, or a super friend a whole lot of butcher's papers worth of, of of their thoughts, a download of what what, what are we doing, what, what what should we be doing, what works, what doesn't work, what's the strategy here. That was really effective. Um, and although we, we didn't do it by butcher's paper, we did it all by Zoom and a very interesting platform, I might say, to do it by butcher's paper over Zoom um, and um, facilitated brilliantly by Superfriend. And out of that now has come, well, let's go to the wider membership at large um, and uh, and put out a survey to get their views and test, I guess, some of the some of the, I guess, um, solutions in inverted commas. Some some of the ideas that had that the thought bubbles that had come out from this uh, the stakeholder engagement uh, process. Um, and look, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. When we put out a survey to members on different things over the last twenty years. We might get uh, you know 400, 500 responses out of you know our membership of eight, eight or nine thousand people. So you know, like most surveys, that you know a lot of people let them go through to spam. And then, uh, we got like sixteen hundred within the first two weeks, and we're now tracking over uh, only a week or so later, we're tracking over two thousand. So you know, this combined with the the Zoom forum that we had on workforce sustainability. Where we had 1,200 registrants and over 900 people online in a Zoom meeting, listening to uh, some a facilitated discussion around workforce uh, uh, problems and principally attrition and lack of sustainability, talking about all those things that you've talked about: wages, the award, uh, long working hours, uh, mentoring, support, stress, suitability for uh, for the profession, resilience, all those sort of things. This is an issue that I, that I'm so proud 
uh, of my team at ABA has been able to really take my call to arms and drive it to get this intention, uh, this attention and engagement from the profession. Yeah, well, it's certainly, it's. I mean, it's certainly something that, as we've as we've spoken about, the whole industry is passionate about. Everyone wants to see this change happen, and wants to see wants to see people's challenges being alleviated, wants to see the death rate drop and everything else that goes along with it. So it's, I mean, hats off to you for for starting up this program and, and getting it running. Look, I guess, and, and you might think, well, you probably should ask me, what is it going to look like at the end of the day? I- that, that's what I was about to ask. That you. is the big question. <laughs> can I? <laughs> yeah, you can. Look, and I'll be open with you. Again, I, I don't know. That's part of this project. I, I suspect it'll be... Um, a, 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 a an organisation or a or a or a governance vehicle like a, a not for profit charity that will bring together all of the stakeholders, all of those people that are playing in this space already, um, and and chipping away and and hopefully sort of corral them into a unified response. And so that we can go to charities like yours, we can go to government who provide resources in this space, we can go to other corporate supporters who want to help improve the health and the the mental health in the profession um, and say this is the programs that we we know will work. This, This is what we've tested. This is the advice. This is the strategy that will meet the BHAG that I've set or ABA is set and and has embraced for the profession over the next five years. Will you come on board with us? And will you sit at the table, not be excluded, not not take direction, but sit at the same table as all of us? Uh, and all I think ABA will do is just help facilitate and and show the leadership to make that sort of thing happen. So that's what I think it's going to look like soon. Um, uh, it, it's uh, and I think without an organisation whose sole focus and has, uh, is just the mental health and suicide issue, uh, then, I mean, ABA does so much and it does some of this very, very well, but it's not really resourced uh, um, and it doesn't represent the entire profession. Well, well, well we do represent the, the entire profession, but, the, but only half the profession choose to join us in a membership role. So in terms of me directly accessing, emailing, speaking to, I mean, I, and I don't want a solution just for my members. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I, uh, it's broader than that. And, and we know that veterinary nurses are suffering in this space as well. Um, and they're not members and they can't join our association because they're not veterinarians. Um, um, but I don't want to, I haven't left them out of the picture as well. I think we owe an obligation to anybody who works in that veterinary practice field, especially because that seems to be where the most amount of issues are coming through, uh, um, that, uh, that, they're, that they're involved in the solution. They're involved, engaged in, in being uh, part of that and, and ask the questions, ask to contribute if they possibly can and taken along for the journey. I can't do this in isolation. It's too big a problem just for, you know, a, a subset of the entire profession to take this off and run with it on its own. Uh, and, and I need to bring everybody along for the journey, basically. If I'm going to, I think to get the results, if I, if we don't do that um, and we made a conscious decision as an association to do that, um, then I'm more likely to fail, and I and I don't like failure. I want to fix this. I was just going to say, is it something that you're also sort of involving with the practices as well, like a big one at like Green Cross on the top, or or the little guys as well? Yeah, look, they're they're, they're watching what we're doing, um, and look, those sort of corporate practices are new in the last ten years, you know, in Australia. Um, they're really switched on with with the, uh, their duty of care to staff and and um, you know a lot more organised than than for, and resourced to be able to provide that sort of support and that that, that cultural environment uh, is pivotal to their success. But um, but they know they've still got the same challenges as, as what we've got, and some of that is around community expectations of what veterinarians are there for. Um, and they still struggle with that. You know, they still struggle struggle with unreasonable community behaviour that adversely affects vets. And then the other big issue that that if you ask a vet, you know, what would really make their job much more enjoyable, least stressful, and much more rewarding would be these conversations around restrictions on care and diagnostics because of cost. You know, and that 
you know, when you that's soul destroying for many for many of my colleagues to have that conversation with a, with a with an animal that's got a problem that you that you could fix. You know, it, it, uh, that you have the skills, you have the equipment, and the resources, uh, the technology, the time, all those sort of things. But there are barriers, principally around cost, where you can't. And then so then when you the end solution to that is to prevent further suffering through euthanasia. Um, those are really difficult conversations, and, and and in horse, it's one of the reasons I became a horse vet because those conversations clinically in a day to day, week to week life of a horse vet are not that common. You know, we just don't t t tend to get the same sort of numbers of animals that we see, and and those sort of those sort of discussions are not as common with a horse owner that you have uh, with a dog and cat owner uh, from the community. Um, and it's, it's why I left small animal practice, to be honest. One of the big reasons I left, because I, I just hated putting down otherwise healthy or animals that I could have fixed. And you'd go home and you think, this is pretty, this is pretty soul destroying. Um, yeah, it's something you hear a lot. Yeah. And, you know, that emotional side of it. Um, uh, and, uh, and you know, the, the, the whole process of euthanizing something, I think, probably tolerizes some of my colleagues that think that, well, euthanasia is a, is a viable option. You know, it's a, it's, it's a practical thing. And, but if, if we can remove that and, and the profession is, 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 and the association is concentrating on that, and the best thing is, is pet insurance. I mean, we've seen a growth in pet insurance, which will, you know, help reduce uh, those cost pressures. Um, that people might find about treating their dogs and cats uh, you know, in an emergency situation. Um, uh, and that will make our careers much more sustainable. I didn't, they don't study for five or six years to then, you know, just put an animal down uh, uh, that, that they could save or, or could actually improve the, the health and welfare of that animal. Uh, that, that's a really hard part of their job. And it's something, I mean, it's something that's sort of recently come in the pet insurance. What It's only been maybe in the last 10 years that pet insurance has been around? It, it's been around about, I'd say about 10 years, but don't quote me, but it feels like that. Um, yeah. You know, it feels right. It's much more common in small animal and companion animal practice than it is in horse. So that's why I'm a little bit out of touch with it. Although many horses are now insured for pet uh, health care. Um, and it, yeah, there's been now a range of products that um, a bigger range of products, uh, and much and the products are much more accessible um, than what they've ever been. Um, curiously, this is something in in other parts of the world, especially the UK. Um, uh, this has been a long-standing um, uh, part of pet ownership is having a they've matured. Um, and uh, you know, veterinary practice life has always in the UK has always revolved around insurance and processing insurance uh, claims for pets and and using you know it's 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 commonplace for clients. Uh, and pet owners to use insurance as a, as a cost mitigation tool for their services in the UK. So we're way behind the times here in terms of uptake and in terms of acceptance um, uh, by by uh, pet owners. Um, but we're we're definitely improving. We're definitely improving. Because I mean, I I would say it's fairly unlikely we're going to see a Medicare style system for our for our animals. Um, so yeah, pet insurance is is really the only way forward. I mean, you might ask why though, Jeremy. I mean, like if, if I mean, veterinarians, you could follow a line of logic that we're regarded as essential services. We know that there's a community health benefit from pet ownership. You know, um, companion pet ownership reduces uh, mental health problems in people. It, it improves their overall general health and demeanour. It's a huge part of the economy, the animal, uh, owning an animal, animal healthcare industry. Uh, it, con it contributes massive amounts to our export economy and food production. Uh, it produces massive amounts of revenue um, in, um, in uh, uh, GST. Uh, and yet, um, none of our services are free of GST and none of them are, pub are publicly funded. And in fact, the government over many years has continued to re retreat and withdraw resources to uh, animal health, um, except perhaps in the biosecurity area, um, and outsource a lot of that to, to pr private practitioners. It is really silly that regional communities um, can get funding and, and are resourced appropriately, uh, hopefully, well, probably not enough, but, you know, to have a community hospital that, that gets government support where those doctors get salary support from to be to live in rural regional areas. And yet the same healthcare service that's vital for uh, food production in those regions, in particular, you know, rural regional areas, um, and for the health of those people, 
um, you know, with companion animals, um, th that's not supported at all, you know, and uh, veterinary hospitals can close in those regional areas. Um, the same with undergraduate training. There's much, many more places for the undergraduate training that are fully funded by government. Um, uh, you know, roughly, you know, one third, one third, one third now through Melbourne University, I believe, is one third is, is um, you know, funded by uh, government places. So that, that's a HEX type system. Uh, of of university intake for vet school, one third is international full fee paying students, which has created huge problems because they can't come in at the moment. And the other third is full fee paying um, Australian based students. Um, so roughly only fifty to sixty places out of every year intake is actually supported by the government and the community. Um, the rest of those veterinarians are funding it themselves, up to three hundred thousand dollars. Uh, to graduate now with a veterinary degree out of Melbourne by the time you finish. And then, you know, you do the maths. How, how can you afford a $300,000 liability on a $60,000 salary working six days a week in regional Victoria, New South Wales? Um, it, you know, that's a recipe for ill health, um, you know, mental ill health, physical ill health and, and breakdown. And it's not sustainable. The government... And the community need to realise that, that they either need to put more resources into training those students so that they don't have to have the, in, incur that huge debt or supply salary support for people to work and provide those essential community services uh, in the veterinary space. Uh, and that's what we're going to advocate for. We're looking at all of those things uh, as a profession and as an association to start to push the government to say, hey, you know, without vets, if if this industry collapses, if this profession collapses, then Australia, this is a it's a huge impact on the community. We're in trouble. And I'm not, I don't think I'm sort of doomsdaying, um, you know, the, the the drama. But I mean, when people are dying uh, at the rate that we're dying in our profession, I mean, there's something not right. And even if even if the profession doesn't collapse, um, it's not fair to have it sustainable to graduate these lovely students that graduate um, with all this debt and then they end up killing themselves. Some of them end up killing themselves. That's just, we shouldn't, we should put our foot down and say, no, no more. That's as simple as that. Yeah, you're right. And and that is a, the worst case scenario. We lose someone that you love um, and we've obviously experienced that and heard of many others since we started this initiative with Flynn's Walk. But I think as well, we, we actually just recently also chatted with um, Dr. Mark Ship, the Australian Chief Vet Officer um, in the Department of Ag. And we would we were expanding out and and um, I guess giving people a bit more of that zoomed out view of the economic position and role that veterinarians play because Jez has his border terrier and I've got my ginger cat but unfortunately the the majority of people are interacting with the smallies in the in the clinics in the local clinics so hopefully through our platform as well we're highlighting vets role in one health vets role in economical um, chain food supply agricultural safety all that stuff so. That's a big part of this too, and I'm proud to, to be contributing to that and, and helping people understand that a vet new degree is an amazing toolkit as well that can can open up so many doors. And of course, the suicide is a worst possible result that we need to reverse that as fast as we can, but there's also the devastating attrition rate of people just going, I'm out of this game. Uh, I studied my ass off for it, but it's not for me. Um, that's a sad part too that we need to look at. Um, and it's going to take a pull from everyone in the in the same direction, but it's um, it's multifaceted. I, I reckon it'd be a scandal if if the public knew that the amount of resources, and it needs to be more, but the amount of resources that go into training vets or you know taxpayers' money, and then realizing that the return on investment may be two to three years out of those vets, and they drop out and repurpose, um, um, they'd be thinking, well, you know, this is not what we're paying our tax. I mean, just purely on a business model. Um, and then the, the now and then the mental health problems that these vets get that now puts a, a burden on Medicare um, and the rest of the community. I mean, it, it, we really need help with this. There's a, there's a much bigger picture here than just you know improving the lives of vets. It, it's it's about the whole value of the veterinary profession to the community. Um, and uh, I'm prepared to ha start to have those discussions uh, and start having those arguments if, the, if it's needed, profiling what's, what the community needs to listen to. Um, and, and, you know, start to, it, it's, it, it's corny, but it's really about love your vet, appreciate your vet. Um, uh, and, and then I think 
will come from that, guys, is an appreciation of and some self-love of ourselves. Does that make sense? Because we're a low self personality wise. Um, I didn't know Flynn, but you, you know him. Uh, you knew him very well. Um, I, we're a low self care psychological profession. We put er, uh, as individuals, and we put everything else first, and we don't value ourselves enough. And and that needs to change. That dynamic needs to change. And if the community can help us change that by by valuing valuing us overtly. I know they value us covertly and I know that at times, you know, when, when your dog is sick and it's just been hit by a car or something and you take it to the vet, they save its life, you love your vet. But but you guys know what happens, you know, that every day in the life of those type of vets. You've seen the, the difficult side of it and it's not that it's it's just not like that. Um the the simple reality and the reality shock when these young vets get out um is something that that we have to change. The community has to help us change it. I'm afraid that's 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 I think part of the strategy as well. Getting the community to help vets help themselves. Yeah, well said. And and that is part of obviously well a very big part of why we we started Flynn's Walk and found our groove through really we just were remembering someone that we lost and but we've had to transform that and grow it and evolve it over the last few years to be more proactive, as you said, and getting around getting the vets together with the community and just saying, you know, actually what you guys all have in common here today, you're all people. So get around each other, support each other and and be kind because it goes a long way. And it's like, sounds like such a cliche, but show that love to your vet, show that extra care, say thank you, be kind, be patient, book your appointment in advance, do all that stuff because it does, it makes a difference, doesn't it, Warren? Yeah, it, it, I mean, those are the things. I mean, I, I, most of them, you know, we, we, we are focused on, poor pay, uh, really, I mean, in some sense uh, at the moment. But, you know, a lot of vets would do this for nothing um, if they if they didn't have these other stresses, you know, that that, that type of um, stress that they get when, you know, when clients are difficult with them or abusive to them um, uh, and the long hours, the, the, the unreasonable expectations that they have. They're, they're, in fact, they're less concerned about money um, uh, these days, I suspect, uh, although they're, they're, it needs to change. We're not, they're not, most vets are not properly rewarded uh, um, and the stats are very clear on that and the award is just atrocious um, but many of them are, when I didn't become a vet to, be, to drive a Ferrari I, I became a vet because I love dealing with animals and I like dealing with people um, and it's a great career and still you get to travel you get to all over the place and do really exciting things and meet lovely people um, but you know those negative things are, are hard to process you know in the client interaction space there's no doubt about that yeah absolutely well I tell you what from where I'm sitting I think the AVA is very lucky mate to have you have come through the ranks as you described um, to us before we started recording and for you to have risen to this position of president now and, and the passion and drive you have to make this change is what it takes. Um, we're seeing that through our grassroots initiative as well. We're getting hassled for more walks. We're getting hassled to talk more. We're getting hassled to do more of this and, and we love that because it's giving this life and it's giving the message uh, momentum. So to connect with you, mate, and hear about that is fantastic. Well, it's fantastic to hear that that you're getting that success, and 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 you know, and you pat yourselves on the back. This is a great initiative that you're doing, uh, you and the the way you're driving it. Uh, um, I mean, it's just it is fabulous. And as I said, my goal is, is to just to bring people like yourselves and and charities like yourselves together um, uh, to all the people that see the picture know the problem and want to help put them all in the same room together and, and let, let's 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 come out of that room with the solutions and and the results let's get the results yeah. you know let, let's let's make it that sort of paradise that that, vet, that a veterinary career should be um uh, and and being a vet the life of a vet should be uh and we'll need your help we'll need everybody's help to do it so guys like yourself I fully appreciate um, the work you're putting in, the fundraising you're putting in, uh, and the profiling. You know, that's that's the important part. You're know, getting the message out there because um, most people are shocked. The genuine, my experience is most, yeah. that your average member of the public is shocked when they hear that. Oh, I thought you did drive a Ferrari, or um, I thought it was really lovely your job, and uh, <laughs> and uh, they just they can't believe that vets skill themselves at, at the rate that they are, and are dropping out from the from the profession and and, choose, and, and repurposing their careers um, like like we are, and and so it, it became a huge media thing as you know just recently. As soon as the media got onto it again. 
Um, and I learned something out of that is that I always knew this and I thought everyone else did. But unless you keep, and I've known it for decades, you know, we've had this discussion for decades about poor pay and 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 the lot. It's not all about you know cuddling kittens and vaccinating puppies. Um, and we know that we've been, you know have to prepare veterinarians better and do something about it. But I thought that you know naively I thought that this wouldn't be great news to the to the uh, to the media and the and the population at large. But because uh, I thought they already knew that they, they'll know this as well, but they don't. They really haven't known it. Um, and I, I don't know how many radio and TV interviews I did, but probably you know roughly thirty in the last few months ever since um, you know we started to really push on this um, and we've got something to say. Um, and, and you know that call to action uh, that that I made, um, and you know that's great. I mean, I'm still fielding calls, still still doing these types of things, and I want to keep doing this. This is this is what I can do. I'm not an expert in in the psychology. I'm not an expert in suicide prevention. I'm I'm not an expert in getting funds for to roll out programs and 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 uh, resources, but. I can. I'm, I guess what I want to do is just get all those people in the room together through my leadership. You know. Yep. Well, I, I, you're saying it beautifully and the room or the figurative room being the Zoom room, whatever it is, whatever it takes, we've managed to do a whole podcast series into season three now and do it entirely remotely. We've never met one guest in person. Things can be done and we've learned to work agile, more agile now as well. And Warwick, I think as well, the fact that you're talking about a table that focuses its attention on the centerpiece being veterinary mental health is incredible because vets have put themselves up to sit at many other tables across the years and contribute to some amazing conversations and work. So a table that has the centrepiece for veterinary mental health is amazing. And I hope there's a chair for us at that table and we'll certainly um, be obliged to, to participate in all of that. And we're on this journey and, and, and where we can contribute our part at the community level we're certainly passionate about that, so thanks um, for that. Look, I I think the time the timing is right. Just I, I don't know whether you guys participated in, but there was a, a national suicide prevention conference uh, run in Canberra earlier this year. Um, so a, a big uh, where the um, the prime minister has has um, designated a, a primary advisor, uh, you know, like a directed personal advisor to the prime minister on mental health. Um, and um, at that, and so they had a really big thinking, a think tank of all the all the players, the Beyond Blues, and the and all those sort of people, and and all the uh, um, in suicide awareness and prevention. And the only profession that was singly targeted out by name that has a problem. It's Christ. It's Christine Morgan, isn't it? She's CEO of National Mental Health Commission. Yep. Christine. Yeah, that's yeah. it. You know, she facilitated that. So. I mean, the government's saying all the right things. All I need to do, I think, is go to the government on behalf of the profession and say, look, this is what we want to do. Yeah. We've worked it out. We've, we've, we've workshopped it. We've discussed it. We've beta tested it with the communities that, that, that this will directly impact upon the nurses, the vets, the practice managers, um, the other, other people that are working already in this space, uh, the service providers in this space. This is what we need. Please just give us the funds and, and, and we will get the name of veterinary surgeons off that list of, of you know, or, and you won't ever talk about veterinarians being, you know, this, this, the, the single profession with the most amount of problems with suicide in Australia. Um, and so that's that's what I have to do. You know, again, it was another shock to me that, you know, when they spoke in an open forum in those lectures about presenting the status of suicide in, in the different industry groups, um, you know, across Australia and tradespeople and doctors in fly and fly out workers, you know, um, where there's been lots of initiatives and bespoke campaigns, um, vets are still singled out as well. There's a huge problem in the, in the, in the veterinary profession. Well, I, I don't want to ever go to long to another one of those Christine Morgan facilitated type conferences and hear our name come at the top. I want to be the example, um, lead the example that says, well, actually, these guys sorted it out for themselves with our help. Well, Jez, I reckon we could have spoken for another hour or even another another few episodes with Warwick. Uh, his passion and commitment to this is clear. Um, I love that he's not backward in coming forward about his approach to making the industry a better place to be for all involved. So, um, yeah, a big thanks to him for, for sharing and opening up to us because um, it takes a lot to say uh, I'm going to make I'm going to be disruptive and I'm going to make some change in an industry that's really needing it um we we hear about it from so many we've had the chance to meet so many 
vets and nurses and, and, and clinic staff all across Australia now and even connected with vets overseas and um, it's an all too common issue that we're hearing about when it comes to burnout and the, uh, the high rate of suicide. So um, yeah, it's uh, fantastic to hear from Warwick and, and his perspective on this. Well, he certainly has the passion for it and he's got the drive for it. So I think if anyone can make it happen, it's going to be him. Yeah, absolutely. He does. And I think that's what the industry needs because it is so overdue. He said, we've talked about this for way too long and there is just the time for action now and very much across the board, Jez, um, it's mental health's time in so many ways and, and it's just baffling that it hasn't been for so long. But I feel like there's real momentum behind the need for self-care, the need for checking in with others, the need for putting your hand up when you're not going okay. So seeing that movement and seeing the momentum build uh, it can only be a good thing. Well, I think it's also like as as we touched on earlier it's like it's a whole community approach it's not just for the industry to fix itself it's it's everyone's responsibility and role to to tackle this issue as one and it's not just going to be government or or ava or someone else to to fix it it's it's up to us all including the pet owners yeah exactly right mate well very well said of course um talking about the community um there's a whole range of support services jez that are available to people who are feeling like they might need some help or that someone close to them uh, is in need of support yeah exactly right and we talk about these at the end of the every podcast i was just going to talk a little bit about and i know we touched on them in the podcast um about the services that the aba do offer to their members um and that's the safe talk program wellness hub they have a 24 7 phone counseling service and they also offer a mental health first aid training to their members as well as that there's also the supports available to everyone out there which is beyond blue kids helpline or headspace if you're under 25 there's are you okay and if if it is a crisis or you do need urgent help, there's Lifeline on 131 114. There's a suicide callback service, or if it's an emergency, you should call triple zero. Thank you, Jez. And those key phone numbers are also in our show notes for the episode. So don't stress if you didn't get a chance to write them down. There's also a couple of handy links uh, on our website at flinswalk.com.au. Jez, thank you for your time as always, mate. Um, it's been a pleasure. and. I'm looking forward to the many more conversations that we have coming up. Pleasure to be here as always. 